Just before we get into today's episode, I'm celebrating the fifth year anniversary of The Michael Bryan Show. I've enjoyed every aspect of the journey over these past five years, but I could not get this far without you, the listeners. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It's been a long journey. I've loved bringing some of you along the way since the very, very beginning, and I look forward to sharing more episodes with you. Feel free to let me know what you think about the show. More than happy to hear your feedback. And we'll get into today's show. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And today I'm joined with Kyra Kyles, who is the CEO of YR Media, which essentially empowers and equips the youth in multiple different ways. So we cover everything, the youth, younger generation, and empowering them to be essentially better than we are. So younger generations being better than the current one. So Kyra, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So what would you say were some of the key things that the youth tend to struggle with? Very often, we don't understand children as well as we like to think that we do and I just wonder what are some of the things that we're unaware of as adults that children do actually struggle with well why are media is serving uh we call them emerging content creators between the ages of 14 to 24 so there's kind of a wide age range so I think that they experience challenges in different ways I would say the most current one which is one we've never experienced in our youth is what's going on with the pandemic and how that has affected relationships and activities and getting out and just having a good time being so concerned with health at all times that's one of the biggest things that we hear is how the pandemic has affected simple things like anywhere from prom to graduation to spending your first year in college. Do you find that it's more common now because of the pandemic that they're more health conscious? Like that's the thing that triggers it all off? I think mental health has come into the fore as something that is a bigger concern, as well as, of course, just physical health because of the implications of what COVID can do to your body. But there's just a lot of talk and there should be about what it could do to your mind. Again, being in isolation doing everything through a virtual kind of platform, not being able to make those like physical connections and in-person connections has had a huge effect. It has had an effect on me. And, you know, I got to go to my prom and homecoming and do all those fun things. I have no idea what it's like to be in this position, but I think that what's really powerful about Wire Media is because we are an organization that focuses on storytelling, they are able to tell that story. We've done several series and features about mental health in the pandemic, school in the pandemic, social media in the pandemic. So we get to hear directly from them, which is what's so important is a lot of times as adults or older adults, we try to imagine or figure out what people are feeling. And here at Wire Media, they just tell us. So I really love that. And I'm excited to be part of that. That's something that I've actually caught myself doing from time to time, where I'm guessing or I'm thinking that I know so in a way i'm speaking for them versus them explaining it themselves and i used to actually work with and coach children and it's very hard because when you're coaching you're taught to question and ask them questions that they would then answer whereas i don't do this as much anymore but it's funny how frequently i forget that 
when I when I don't have the the hat of of coach or or mentor for the for the children, and it's so difficult because your instinct is to help them and make their life easier by taking on some of the thought process or some of the solution for them in a way to make their lives a bit easier or help them be better by coming up with some part of it yourself which while that might seem like it works in your head it doesn't quite work in there does it not at all i mean if you if you take that situation and apply it in any other situation it's almost like you know i was the editor-in-chief at ebony and the importance of ebony was we were explaining the black experience. Just imagine if somebody who was not from the black community had been telling people, here's what you guys need. And that it has happened. You know, it's a, it's a very prescriptive way of doing things. Something that we often fall into when it comes to uh, volunteering and mentoring. And it's just remembering that you are there really to listen and try to help and do the things that, that the community you're trying to support is asking you to do. And it's the same thing with the next gen community. Where did your passion for this come from? Was it your own experience with it, what you experienced yourself or what you were seeing, what you were observing? How did your passion for children come into this? So I've always been passionate about making sure that underrepresented voices are heard. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that the landscape continues to change. And the only way the landscape can change is if the people change. So even at the beginning of my career, a lot of the places that I've worked, I've been the only one. I've been very isolated. I felt like I had to take the weight of the world on my shoulders because I was this one sole representative. And if I didn't do it, nobody would do it. I've been in a situation where people assumed that I was an executive assistant, even when I was a columnist and a TV uh, pundit, for, because I was you know, a woman of color, I was black, and I was in a place where most people were white, You know, to, to be quite honest. And they were much older people and they had been in these roles for a long time and they were used to people that looked like them. And so one of the commitments I made was that I don't want anyone else to experience that. I want people to feel embraced. I want the media to represent the landscape that it's supposed to serve. And so what that translates into is serving why our media, trying to make sure that we're creating that platform, that we're helping to drive the impact because the talent is there. You know, sometimes people say things like, oh, we're giving young people a voice. You're not giving anyone anything. All you're doing is piping down so that they can finally be heard and you're just investing in them with tools and resources, but they are the ones with the talent and the ones that are the leaders. And that is is really what <clears throat> motivates me is knowing that I am in a position where because of the things I've experienced, because of my career, hopefully I can pass down a little advice, but I'm also listening because they're experiencing different things. They can give me some advice. So I like to think of it as a two-way street, and that's the way that that many of my colleagues at Wire Media think of it and how our organization has lasted so long. And we work with the next generation, not thinking of ourselves as, you know, helping them. I wonder what has been some younger generation wisdom. So what has the younger generation told you that has impacted you? Maybe something you didn't even think about at the time? I really like the way there's a new emphasis on your own well-being above work. A lot of times we come up and we learn you work, 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 and then you work to a certain age, then you rest. They are not having that. And I appreciate that and I admire it. They want balance. They want 
to be seen. They want to be heard. They want their perspectives to count. I work in the media where for the longest time, the emphasis has been on objectivity. And what objectivity typically is translated to is what is the, the white male perspective on things. And they're not accepting that. I pushed back on it when I was a journalist, but there's only so much that I could do because it's, it's really just pervasive. What they do is they say, hey, I'm, this is my full identity. I'm bringing this lens just like you're bringing your lens. Your lens is no less uh, valid than mine. You're not bringing this dispassionate view. You're bringing actually your own view. And it's shaped by how systemic racism affects everything. So we're not going to legitimize that gaze over my gaze or my perspective. And they are just really adamant about that. So I deeply admire that. And I admire their commitment to brands having to really stand for something and not just to give kind of uh, lip service. They really are looking, hey, where are you investing? What are you doing on the social uh, landscape? What are you doing with your employees? They're not willing to accept this kind of PR version of the way things are. They really want to know the truth and they really value authenticity. And I've learned a lot from that and tried to incorporate a lot of it into my own worldview and the way that I operate as well. I imagine it actually making things a little bit more difficult for most media companies when they've got to be a bit more subjective versus objective, a bit more emotional versus detached, because people can't connect with it if it's too detached per se. How have you made that transition and is it easier to do if you found it more straightforward if you found it more complicated what has been your experience when you're integrating something a bit more subjective and, and personal well i think that that's kind of the the conundrum is that there for years people have not been as objective as they claim it's just somewhat of a fallacy it's a false sense of objectivity so right now we're just naming what it is. This is not real objectivity. This is the perspective of so-called mainstream America and it's painted on everything. And you can see it in headlines. You can see it the way stories are reported. For example, you could see it in the way that justice has been reported for, for centuries really is law enforcement is good. People are bad and you know this is the way it is. And we've seen that, that narrative turned on its head. So I think most media companies are, are grappling with this. I don't think why our media grappled with it as much because there's always been that sense that the perspective was authentic and that, yes, of course, you're going to fact check, you're going to get fair sources, but you're not going to just su subscribe to this decades old antiquated view that in order for you to cover something, you have to pretend that everything's fair, everything's even, and that systemic racism and and gender issues do not come into the way people view the world. I found that, especially through platforms like the show and many other conversations around it, it's actually more valuable to say things like, what do you think? Or what's your take on this? Or how do you actually feel when you're doing this? What do you actually go through? And I found that some people can answer things like that better than others. So there are some people that have not a difficult time when it comes to answering questions like that. Other people can struggle with it and then that causes them to be a bit more defensive as if they're being put on the spot. So sometimes when you're trying to understand, you're trying to get their take on things, it can be 
a bit of a minefield because you don't know how they're going to respond. You don't know how they're necessarily going to take the question. As someone that asks a lot of questions, someone that questions tend to get more difficult as the conversation goes along. How do you ask your sources, let's say, for want of a better expression, how do you have these conversations with them in a way that helps you get their perspective out of them, even if they struggle to answer the, I suppose, blunter questions, like what do you think or what's it like for you? And sometimes they can struggle with answering those. I think a lot of times people struggle with that line of questioning if they don't feel that the interviewer is as open. That's just the experience I've had. What I've found is the best conversations I've had as a journalist with others is when I am completely open, non-judgmental. Sometimes we even just inadvertently, we might make a face, right? Or we might say, oh, wow. And if you say something like that, you've basically told this person that you think what they're saying is pretty wild. You, so mm, it's a yeah. judgment. <laughs> so, you know, I think that what I've found helpful is to remain really neutral, remain really more interested in the question and try to focus away from my reaction to the response, if that makes sense. Because I think what happens is when you're talking to someone, they're watching you just as much as you're watching them. And if they see you wince, if they say something, or if they see you, oh, all right, it, that makes them feel like, like you would with a friend. If you're telling a friend a story and they're like, okay, you realize that they don't agree with you. Even though it's just a tiny little vocal gesture, it means something. So I try to be really quiet, really more in listening mode, nodding, giving affirmation that I'm here to listen to you. I know what I think about things. I want to hear what you think about things. Yeah, it just reminds me of if you go to a, a medical doctor and they look at your sheet and they go, ooh, that looks weird. And you're like, absolutely. You will be scared. Like? You will want to run to the waiting room. You're absolutely right. Yeah. That's exactly, that's a yeah. great example. So is that something that they can pick up on? Like they get in clearer when it comes to like mannerisms subconscious things that we don't see I think the micro expressions i think that's the right way of putting it do you think the younger generation are better at reading other people i don't know i, I i've noticed this throughout my career i i think most people especially if they're being interviewed about something that is controversial they are watching to see what the other person is thinking how they're reacting to it and I think the more open you can be. Now, obviously, I'm a human being. If you're telling me something that's absolutely horrible, it's spine chilling. I'm not going to be able to. I, you know, I haven't been in danger of winning any Oscars or Emmys or anything. I probably will slip up a little bit. Yeah. But I, I think in general, just if you want to hear someone's thoughts, you really just have to be super receptive and responsive. And I think also it's it's about asking people when you have a source, asking them about the things that they actually do know something about. And giving them a chance to share their expertise. I think you'll see the most people that are nervous is when they truly don't know the subject matter and they feel like they're being put on the spot to your point. So asking someone about something that makes sense is also a way and, and say, hey, and if you're not the person to talk to, how about I speak to this person or who do you recommend that I follow up with? Because then that also gives them an out that they're not being looked at to solve the world's problems. That's a very interesting point, actually, in that... Some people may be clearer on where their expertise or experience or know-how, so to speak, starts and finishes. And as Absolutely. they start tippy-toeing into what they know zero about, some people can get quite 
difficult when they start getting close to that. And I guess most people do. Some people have an easier time telling someone, look, I really don't know the answer to that. Um, can we change the subject a little bit? And that happens in social settings as well. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me something about a topic I know zero about. But because I have a podcast, they seem to think I seem to know everything. And I've got to let them know. I've got to let them know. I've got to say, look, I'm sorry. I, I genuinely don't know. It could be something related to cooking. It could be airplanes. It could be the next film that's coming out. You name it. Sometimes I get questions about some weird and wacky stuff. And most of the time, I just assume that I don't know. And sometimes I mishear it. And I think that it's something I know something about. And then I go, ah, no. It, it it really wasn't that it wasn't what they well, were. Well, that's smart. I mean, the thing is, you don't allow your ego to lead it. There are some people who want everyone to think they know everything, and that's where they run into problems. I'm glad to tell you, hey, you know that is not my lane. I do not know, but my best friend knows that, or I know somebody who could really talk to you about that. I have no qualms about redirecting people. That might be something worth diving into a little bit. Because I would love to be in a situation where everyone has the ability to talk around something in a way that's like, look, I don't know fully what you're saying. I don't know what you're asking. Don't know the answer. But I know this much. This is the level that I'm at. How do you have those conversations? If someone was listening that thought, you know what, I want to be able to communicate what I don't know and what I do know. Do you have any advice for those people outside of what we've just shared at the moment? I think what you said made perfect sense. You share what you do know, and then you're very transparent about what you don't know. And give someone else the space to be an expert at something. I think one of the things that you lose out on when you pretend to know everything is that there may be someone who could speak to that perspective. That's why, especially with Wire Media, I defer a lot of the questions about how younger generations or how next generations are feeling or what they're thinking because I would rather them join me and talk about it. Because for me to do it, it's almost like I'm taking an opportunity away from them. So I think that's something just in, in culture in general, people, sometimes they get that, that spotlight and that limelight and they just don't wanna leave it. And that's what gets them in these predicaments where they're stuck talking about something they don't know anything about. They're, they're scared that if they say they don't know this, that they'll lose their place as an expert. And it's, you won't lose your place, but you may lose your place as an expert in this area, which should be good because then that gives someone else an opportunity. I think having the ability to be okay with that, like you don't need the spotlight on everything all of the time. I think as long as you have your space where you have the spotlight or you have the expertise of, for some people, that's enough. It's definitely enough for me. I know where my lane is quite firmly, truth be told. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and it can get you to a space where you're quite happy to say, look, I know all about this right. thing. <laughs> Tell somebody else. Talk to somebody. Right. I, I really love don't to share the spotlight. I love to share the spotlight. If someone asks me something, which people do, sometimes they say to me, they try to anoint me the spokesperson of all issues to deal with women of color or black women. I don't know. You know, I am one black woman. I wouldn't even tell you what my younger sister thinks. She's got her own thoughts. So I think that's something that just happens. We have this kind of pundit culture where there's this pressure to know everything and be asked about a topic. You can let other people speak. You'll get another chance. 
Yeah, to, to to play devil's advocate a little bit, I wonder if that can make things like interviews or content or sources for certain topics that could be easier in some ways because you could talk to everybody sharing their individual perspective and you've got a never-ending stream of perspectives but then does that not make you think well do we have to be careful with who we let share the perspective because in some ways is everyone's opinion or perspective equally valid or not how do you think about it do you have a some kind of vetting process for certain topics and how do you think about it well i think social media has made it so that we are in that position anyone can say whatever they want someone with two followers could get two million likes on twitter or, or retweets based on being clever in that moment, it can also cause you to get into a lot of trouble where you end up deleting your account because something you said that was just a little, you thought a funny aside or some kind of observation and you've offended huge swaths of people. So we are living in that world. I think media tries to curate, but again, media has been overrun by punditry. That's it. And it's frankly more inexpensive to produce when you would just allow people to come and just spout off about whatever they're thinking you're not really doing it real investigative reporting. I think that what Wire Media does to strike that balance is, yes, we have quite a bit of perspective, but this perspective is balanced with facts, it's balanced with sources, and it's based on things that are happening and that people are experiencing, and it provides you a great view into someone else's life. But we balance that with investigative reporting and special series that we do where we zero in on issues of like youth social justice, the juvenile justice system, police and schools. So it's not just a bunch of individuals just, hey, this is what I think. And no, here is what I think. It's a balance. And so when you create that balance the right way, you get all the things that you need. But if you're just looking for pure perspective, you can go to any one of these social media platforms and everybody has the opportunity to do that, which is fairly new in our history, but it's something that can be disturbing because a lot of times, sometimes people latch onto this. And there is no research, there's no reporting, there's no vetting, there's no fact checking, no editor, but these thoughts and ideas are out there. And a lot of times, even though you delete them, they can't be taken back. Once they're out there, they're out there. I wonder why you made the shift from the sort of black culture magazine to the younger generation side of things. Why did you make that shift? Well, I've had a very multifaceted career and I actually started out as a TV reporter and I was doing more general reporting. I went eventually to the Tribune Red Eye and at that time, the new generation was the millennials. And so I was part of a team of a startup culture at the Tribune company that pursued youth readership and wanted to make sure that, that younger people were reading print publications. So the Red Eye was a print publication. It was really hey, we can get you to read this bigger, brighter, you know, funnier, more entertaining newspaper. And so I did that for some time. And I went to Ebony after that. So while I've always and, and will always tout not only Black culture, just culture, period, because we want to make sure that there's full diversity in everything that we see, because that's the way that the world actually is. Yes, it, it's sort of a natural progression. So what I'm doing at Wire Media is, is the culmination of everything. And in, in terms of my career, in addition to what I did at work, 
I've always been volunteering. I've served on the boards of different organizations where the whole purpose was to make sure that more people are coming into these industries because nothing will change. Even if your attitude changes, even if you're trying your hardest to be thoughtful, newsrooms, uh, music companies, none of those things will change unless the actual human beings working at them change. So I've always done that. So Wire Media is essentially bringing together everything that I've ever worked for or wanted as a professional together into one thing. It seems to me like you're quite driven by whether it's impact or legacy or making a difference. And I just wonder if, if that's true and what you would like your legacy to be. You are on point. That is exactly what is important to me. I would like my legacy to be that I was someone who not only got to get some great, great opportunities writing and storytelling with someone who would not only hold the door open, but try to build another door and a window if needed and a ladder to get up to the next level of the window. You know, I want to make sure that people get these opportunities sometimes, and it's very unfortunate the way that the world works, and that's why I was the only one. Sometimes people think in an organization that if they can get one person that represents, in their mind, diversity, they're done. And so what that does is it creates a competitiveness. If you're the one, you don't want to see anybody else like you come in there because then you're pitted against this person, or maybe they don't need you anymore. So I don't ever want anyone to feel like that. And that really drives me is to say, we should all be at this table. And if the table isn't big enough, then let's expand the table and bring more chairs and bring more plates because we should not be having the same conversations in 2022 that we had in 1992 and 1942. Um, you know, my, we, we often look at, especially in the United States, we think of the, the systemic racism as something that happened a long, long time ago. My mom, who is young and beautiful to me and to many people, was sitting in a colored balcony. So this isn't something that someone passed down to me and it's some ancient story that, that is in a history book. I actually have a parent who had to sit in a segregated balcony. So it's we're not far enough removed. And so my goal is to make sure that that we keep moving forward and that we don't move forward, then come back, move forward and come back. That seems to be the pattern. We had this big racial reckoning during the pandemic. And then people slowly started creeping back to, let's get back to normal. Let's not, please. Let's, let's not get back to normal because normal wasn't great for a lot of people. So I think it is just about, I would like to, to have said about me that I widened opportunities and made sure that other people had chances uh, opportunities that I may not have had when I was coming up and, and people have helped me. And so I want to help others. That's very understandable when you're in a position where you can give. And I think there's so few people that feel like they can, but then there are people that are in positions where they still don't really want to, or don't necessarily feel they can. And it's a rare breed of person that, helps when they don't necessarily have a lot to give and there are people that wait until they're in a position whereby they then start to give and i think it's one of those things where if you're giving then you'll you'll give whatever it is whether it's time because you don't have much else or more things as you start to acquire more for yourself and it makes me think actually of 
how do people actually create something that's lasting? So something that outlives them. And someone asked me a question more than 10 years ago now. And the reason why I still remember it is because I ask it myself every so often. And it's what would be your 200 year vision? If you could put something together now that would last 200 years, what would it be? What would be your dream, your aspiration, your project, your side thing that you do that eventually gets there what would be the thing that would outlive you wow that is a mind-blowing question uh, 200 years that's quite some time hmm yes i think it, it, it would be what i'm trying to do now it would be i would love to I won't be here, but 200 years of the future, or maybe I will, who knows, maybe they'll figure out a way to extend their lives 200 years. So if I, by any chance, saw 200 years into the future, what I would love to see is a media, music, entertainment landscape that looked like the world, that looked like the population of the world, from the racial to in terms of gender, um, you know, that we were reflective because I don't think you can have those things. Like they should really be mirrors to where we are. And right now they're not, they're not mirrors. You see all the uproar about a, a black mermaid um, or, you know, people being angry about Miss Marvel or just so, so much vitriol aimed at people of color, individuals who've had to leave the, the Star Wars universe because they were being racially berated just on the sole purpose if you don't belong here we're talking about imaginary world so just think about if we can't even be an imaginary world how do people treat us in this real world so in this future 200 years from now i would like my legacy to be that i contributed in some way to making it where that is not a problem this is not a controversy this is not an uproar this is what we want our world to be like which is welcoming and embracing I won't say people use the term tolerant. You shouldn't be tolerating anyone. That sounds horrible. You know what I mean? Like that's that's not yeah, a, a really warm, right. Is that a warm way I'm tolerating you? No, you know, we want people embraced. We want people to feel special and we want people to know that it is great to be different and, and having people be different is what makes the world interesting. What I think people are trying to mean, I mean, there are people out there that I'm sure would use the word tolerant, and that is kind of what they mean. But when I picture it, I don't mean tolerate myself. I mean accepting them. So if you see them for who they are and you're okay with that, if they're okay with that, you know, there are a lot of people that are unhappy with, with the way that they see themselves and they would probably would like to change it or improve it in some way. But if they're happy, I'm happy. That's how I like to describe it. Oh, that's a nice way. I, I think those when you use the word tolerate, it's almost like I feel like I tolerate a long line at the rental car facility or, <laughs> you know, I tolerate the fact that someone has decided to open up a tuna sandwich on an airplane. You know, it's a, it has a negative connotation yeah. because basically yeah. what it means is you don't really want to be bothered with this person, but you can bear you can bear it. So we don't want that. That's that's really a very unenthusiastic, low level. That's like the the lowest bar you can set tolerating someone, right? So I would love. That's what I'm saying. Two hundred years in the future, because I, I realize things move super slowly. Maybe we can move past this tolerate into embrace. 
Yeah, I, th I think that would be one heck of a goal that you set for yourself. And I, I wonder if you can shed some light on if someone wanted to do that for themselves. It sounds like you're well on the way to achieving that yourself. Hopefully we get there before the 200-year mark, but you never know. If someone I wanted so. to have the legacy thing, they want the legacy project, they want to have something that outlasts them. If someone wanted to start building that for themselves, what advice would you have for them? Because YR Media seems like it's well on its way to, to achieving yours. So try and help someone that wants to do it for themselves. Right. And I, and I would also say, you know, Wire Media predates me. It's been around 30 years. So my only hope is to be a contributor to that in a, in a way. And just all the work I've done cumulatively, I hope, gets to that 200 years. So not just through Wire Media, but through any action. I would say that if someone wants to leave a legacy, maybe the first step is don't, don't start out trying to leave a legacy. I think what it is is that you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself when you say something like that. I mean, it's it's really great, and I love it. It's a great question, but if you put that type of, of pressure on yourself, maybe you become more concerned with that than you do the actual work. I think what it is is find something that you really care about, something that you want to change, research it. If it's not something that's affecting you personally, it's a different community, listen. Go listen and find out what's really needed. A lot of times we try to look at someone and we tell them, oh, this is what they need. Here, I'll give them this and this is good. And that's not what they wanted and it's not what they needed and it's not really going to make a measurable impact. The next thing is activate. Figure out once you know what it is that you want to do and how you want to work with the community that you're trying to serve, not for, but with them, uh, then I think the next thing you do is you get a strategy together and you make a plan so that you can actually do this because having passion about something alone is not enough. Why our media has been around for 30 years because not only was the founder an innovator, but actually came and found other people that were willing to help and execute and make this into a reality. And that structure exists to this day and is why I'm able to do what I'm able to do and try to keep that, that legacy going and evolving and moving so, and another thing is just establish accountability. What are you trying to achieve? And so if you don't have any goalposts, how do you know you're achieving it? Maybe what you're doing makes you feel good, but is it actually changing anything? So that, that's what I would say. And then I would also say you have to be willing to be resilient. You have to say, okay, what I wanted to do originally, this is the way I thought I should do it, but it's five years later, is it still the right way? And be willing to ask yourself that tough question and change it. And then the legacy will come with the hard work and that you passing along that mission. But I think when you start with, with that, with that legacy thought, that may be what causes somewhat of a decision paralysis where you're trying so hard to do something so big that you don't ever even start because you're intimidated by your own goals. I wonder if very often that is the case. And also if the small thing that outlasts you is probably the things to aim for versus the big thing that, that doesn't. What do you think? Say one more time. The small thing that outlasts you versus the big thing that doesn't. Hmm. I like that. Yes, I think the small thing that outlasts you is probably what would mean the most to me. I would care more, even if it wasn't a huge impact. I don't need a statue of myself in the town square in, in, in 200 years. But if somebody 
is the descendant of the descendant of the descendant of something that I did to help, that would be enough for me. And I think that when you think that way, it just, it, it just unlocks all types of possibilities. And it also takes the focus off you because it's not really about you and what you did. And thanks everybody for, you know, you're welcome for me doing all this great stuff. It's more like, is this something that really matters to you? Would you do this if, if there was nothing in it for you, if no one ever thanked you, if no one ever thought about you in relationship to this again. And for me, I do feel that way. I don't really care about any individual recognition for it. It's more like, I know what it is to be in a place and feel like you do not belong there. And for people to be very comfortable othering you, treating you this way, and then that being something that passes on where other children and teens and people growing up end up inheriting and feeling that same sense of otherness. So because I think that's awful. I wouldn't want anyone to undergo that. And I don't care if I did it anonymously or if I did it inadvertently, as long as it ends is good enough for me. So what do you say to people that think this is amazing? I want to make a difference. I want to make my mark. I want to make a change that outlasts me and I want to leave it behind. I want that to be my legacy. And then if you say, well, do you want your name on it? And they go, yeah. Does that not make you think it's so hard to do the opposite? Meaning if it outlasts you, it might have somebody else's name on it instead, let's say. Deep down, you know it was somebody else that, that did it versus the pseudonym or someone they replaced you with when you did it. What would you say if, if that was the case, where deep down it was you, but somebody else has got their naming lights or whatever the case is? I don't know. I've just never really been a naming lights person. I do enjoy getting credit for what I've done because I think that's only fair. And some of the reason that we have so many problems in this country is because people don't give credit where it's actually due. Everybody wanted to see the Elvis movie. I didn't because I know Elvis stood on the shoulders of many black musicians that didn't get any credit. As a matter of fact, would never have seen that kind of success because they weren't even allowed to come through the front door of the venues that Elvis performed in. But him doing their moves made him a superstar and somebody that we're talking about even today. So I, I, I don't think people need to do things and just do them anonymously and not receive any credit. But I, I think where I'm saying I'm drawing the line is that if that's the only reason or one of the major drivers of them doing something because they want recognition, because that's when you cross into what we've called saviorism. You think you're saving people. So you're not, and at a certain point, you've lost the thread. You're not helping people. You're not pouring into them. You are showing everybody that I did this. It's kind of like those, you know, those social media videos where they walk up to someone who maybe in transition doesn't have a home and they hand them a bag of money and they show the person's face on camera and they show the person yeah. crying. Mm -hmm. And it's not that, and you want people to give. And there is a piece of you that says, yes, maybe someone seeing this will do this. And then that way it multiplies this act. But at the same time, it also could be looked at as exploiting that person. You want everyone to see you as this hero flying in like from the Marvel universe to save this poor downtrodden person. And people have said that that offends them. I had no idea what this is about. They handed me this money. They stuck a camera in my face. Why not just give them the money if you wanted them to have it or invest in, in, a, in a foundation or something that supports people getting homes? 
why did you have to take your camera and shine it on them and hand the money and just put the camera back on yourself? Does that not mitigate like the altruism of your action? And I think it does take down, like, what is your true intent? Is it your intent that you want to be the person that saved the world or do you just want the world to be saved? I think it's almost like high scale virtue signaling. When you got people Absolutely. doing things just for their recognition, so you set everything up to make yourself look good, like you're doing the right thing. And I think we're living in a world where people would rather do that publicly than do that anonymously. Absolutely, that that's exactly my point. Virtue signaling at the highest level. <laughs> and yes, can it help people think? Oh, it's good to help people. I'm sure at some level, but for the most part, it's it's a very kind of uncomfortable performative exercise doesn't seem as authentic as if someone simply helped somebody and didn't ask for a medal to be pinned to their shirt they just wanted to help and it's actually causing less trust in the system because the reactions seem a bit exaggerated um and they go away crying or whatever the case is as if like the whole lives changed and it does for maybe three weeks or so and then they're they're right back to where they were for Absolutely. things that probably were out of their control i get it it probably Absolutely. was but it's something that you're doing literally just for the validation or the recognition or to be seen as being this good person probably better than they actually are in some ways Absolutely. And they come and they control that image. And that's why I think it's just important to ask yourself why you're doing something and make sure that it comes from a place of actually wanting to be of assistance, to be a tool, a resource, not the star of the show. Just before we round off the, the conversation, Kyra, it's been a, a long, very, very positive conversation. There's a lot of deep topics here and I want to... Uh, respect that in some ways because i don't want to start going too light-hearted and too wishy-washy now because i really enjoyed it so i thought i would see what your advice would be to the younger generation you've had a lot of experience with the younger population children teenagers that sort of thing you probably have to immerse yourself in their world quite a bit and learn as much about them as possible and I wonder what advice you would give someone of that age range. So sort of life transition, early teenagers, maybe slightly younger, that's thinking about what they want to do with their life. What would you tell that person? Hmm. Well, I think I would tell them what I would tell anyone that wants to make any kind of transition. Is as you pointed out, that's a great way you said it, transitioning. And people can transition whenever they want. I just read some article about people who, at the age of 50, decided to go into a whole different career shift. I would say we live in an age where you can really create your own career. There's the gig economy. That didn't go so well. But it still really brought about an entrepreneurial spirit and a knowledge that you don't always have to just go to a company and stay there for 30, 40 years and get the gold watch and retire. You can work and you can also have a, a side role that you do, or you can innovate. You can have your own media company through TikTok or you know whatever social media platform that you like. And just be experimental, be daring and be innovative. Really challenge yourself. If there's something that you want to try, try it. Because a lot of it is um, low cost. 
at a point you had to have a TV station and you had to get them to buy in for you to have your own show and you had to have sponsors. You can have your own show on TikTok or Instagram reels. You can do whatever you want and take that freedom and really leverage it while you have the, the time and the space to do that. And I would also say surround yourself, not necessarily, I won't say positive people because there's also toxic positivity. There are people that'll talk you into big trouble because they just, yeah, do it. So, but surround yourself with people that truly care about you, are part of your circle, are inspirational to you because of different things they're doing and are honest with you and will will give you that gut check that you need. And I think that that if you do those things, that will put you on the right path. I mean, things change, they evolve. And, and the one thing I've learned throughout my career is always invest in yourself, always be willing to put in the effort for yourself that you would for any job or school or parent or anyone else, because at the end of the day, you are it. And doesn't matter what your parents think, doesn't matter. You will end up in a career that, that you don't like trying to please other people. Do what you want to do in life and just really experiment and, and take as many low cost risks as you want in order to, to end up on the path that you, that you truly desire. A lot of the time, things like fear and worrying what people think, that almost feels like it's more important when there are teenagers and children. And I think it's because they get so much support and security and safety and happiness from other people. So almost like it carries over into the value of their opinions, because so far it's been great. And you want to make that sour? Probably not. So people have this fear around how it affects other people, what they might think. And parents are quite big on that list, I'm sure. How would you suggest that younger people try to overcome the fears and worries that they have, the things stopping them? Because the advice sounds great. It really does. But the voice inside their head will still convince them to stay as they are. Well, I would say the same of adults. I know people my own age and a little bit younger who are worried about what other people think. They're, they may be in a relationship just because other people think it's bad for them to be single or they may be working in a field that they're not interested in because people say it's lucrative, but it's not what they want. I, you know, obviously, peer pressure and, and uh, acceptance are, are a problem throughout our lives, and it can be a real challenge, especially as you are formulating your identity. But I'll tell you, I mean, why are the, the young people that come in there are so fearless and just brave and they have their point of view and they're not afraid to express it and they work with us to get it to a point where it can be put out there into the public for, for people to see. And so for them, you know, I don't see quite as much of that from my vantage point. And, you know, I'm not a, a therapist or anything, so I don't want to give any kind of half cock, you know, back to our earlier point about giving advice in areas where you're not an expert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll yeah. tell you, I've been a pretty bold person for a long time. So the things that work for me won't necessarily work for everyone. I do, you know, everybody cares what people think, but I think I personally care a little bit less. And I've been like that since I was. 16, 15. So, um, but I will say that I think in terms of just defining, I will just limit my, my kind of advice to career. I think that's a place where you're not really going to get tons of peer pressure about that. That's something that you're going to get maybe some comments or things like that as you formulate who you are, but we encourage young people come out, 
you know, be storytellers, make music, do designs, uh, learn, you know, different things within tech. And, and it's exciting to see them make those choices and, and work with each other and inspire each other. When I go to their share out sessions, all they're doing is encouraging each other. Like, oh my gosh, that's great. Oh, that sounds fire. Like, I want to hear that again. That belongs on billboard. You know, th this is what I'm saying. So I don't see that other part, but I know it's there, but I'm just saying that what I'm seeing in the population, the group of young people we work with, emerging content creators, they are just super supportive, super creative. And I wish we could just spread that further along because it's just exciting to see when you're uninhibited and you're brave and you feel like you're getting the right kind of training and support, that's the kinds of things that you can do. Would you say that being bold and courageous was something that you've had to work at, that you've had to train anything that you can speak to about building your own confidence, giving yourself the courage to, to take these risks? Yeah, I think I, I started out, I would call myself, and I don't think introverted people are, are necessarily not bold, but maybe necessarily aren't, may not say as much as someone who's considered to be extroverted publicly about it. But I grew up pretty introverted and really into books and reading and I think my boldness came from the fact that I just noticed that even though I was minding my own business and, and trying to be nice and just do what I was doing, there were people that were constantly, well, do this, do that, and kind of interrupting me and bothering me. And I realized that if I wanted them to stop, that I had to get, use some of their tactics on them. And then I think at some point it became second nature. So I just started speaking up for myself, advocating for myself. My parents were very supportive of that. My younger sister is actually my inspo because she took like nothing from anybody from the age of two. So I would really follow her example <laughs> in that respect. I was like, wow, my sister doesn't care. She said, you know, stop it. And people actually stopped. So <laughs> she used to protect me. And that was embarrassing. I had something much shorter than me was protecting me. And I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. I got to get better than this. So I just started evolving. And I noticed that when I did that, not only did it make things clearer for me, it made me feel better. I felt more empowered. And that good feeling, I just wanted to keep it. So I just continued to do that. Hey, I hear you. I understand what you want. But this is what I'm about to do. Understand if you don't agree, but this isn't you. You don't have to worry about it. I'm doing it. You know, so that is really it was somewhat of a, a natural evolution. And it really came from being supported by my family. And also just realizing it feels much better when you're authentic and when you're doing what you want to do instead of taking a vote on everything and trying to come to a consensus. Because no matter how many consensus you come to, you will never please everyone. So it's better for you at least to be happy. You could switch careers three times and there will be one person each time that will say, ah, why are you doing that? So why bother with that? You're the one who's got to do this every day. So you really need to be at peace with yourself. So the decisions I make are internal decisions. I ask people's opinions, but I also recognize that these people will not be living with the consequences of whatever I choose. And that is what has helped me really keep that attitude going. That is a very, very good point because I was a recovering people pleaser many, many moons ago. I'm also <laughs> an introvert as well. And I've realized over the years that, as you said, it's about inner peace first. Yes, you can please some people, but unless you please yourself, as you said, you're the one living with whatever choices you make, nobody else. And it reminds me actually of the people that spend time with you, short amount of time, should never have a big commitment or big influence over your life. 
if you Absolutely. live with that person, a bit different. But right. if someone's passing by, they shouldn't dictate the hair you wear. Absolutely. If someone's meeting you in the coffee shop and they're going to tell you about your life choices, they're not going to spend any time with you outside of the decision that you're making. So I spent a while before I got to this position, by the way, Kyra, this isn't this isn't a old thing that I've always done. Mm-hmm. But I've often gone off how much time I spend with this person to dictate how much of an influence they have. Because if I live with the decision becomes we live with the decision, this will probably play some kind of part in the decision making. Absolutely. That's correct. But even then, I would say I would also challenge it to sometimes you let people give you advice that don't know anything about it. You know, like I had people who you you are really great at speaking, communicating, and you're a good researcher, quick reader. You should go into law. You should go into law. And for a time, I almost did. And and there's nothing against law, and I love it. And if I wanted to do it, I would have done it. But what my true love was storytelling and journalism. But I did let people talk me into that for a little while. So it's and then that was one of the biggest lessons I learned. Like, hey, guess what? These people aren't in the law library at this at two o'clock in the morning. These people aren't sitting here reading through these briefs or trying to write one and staring rapidly into space. I'm the one doing this. So what they think doesn't matter. And I have to really rely on what will make me happy in life. What I want to do for eight to 10 hours a day. Work is a lot. It takes up a lot of your time. So you really need to at least be pleased with it. And these other people that are telling you what to do, they are not sitting next to you at this desk or wherever you are doing this work with you. And and you have to remember that when you make your decision, filter it through. If it impacts them, you're absolutely right. You should discuss it and they should be part of your decision but ultimately the decision is always yours very very well put kyra and i would love to point people in your direction so if people wanted to find out more about you whether it's yr media or anything else that you have going on how can people enter your world thank you for the invitation we would love for people to enter the world so i will start as i always do with yr media please visit us at yr.media and that's where you can see all the content by our emerging content creators. But if you want to learn more about us as an organization, visit wiremedia.org. And anyone who wants to continue to converse, have a conversation with me, and I would welcome that, you can find me across social media on at the Kyle's Files. So just the, and then my last name, Kyle's and Files, at the Kyle's Files. Thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Those that are listening, feel free to subscribe, share the show, tell others, and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts. Kyra, thanks so much for being a guest, and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you for having me. Great conversation. If you want to join a group of like-minded people that are all out to achieve their goals, their dreams, their aspirations, and that gets the help and support from me and the other members, then my inner circle is for you. There's a link in the description for this episode to get two months free of the inner circle. So you set your membership up, you get two months free access. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey of achieving the life that you want.